Welcome to this bonus episode of The Commons, a podcast featuring researchers, innovators, artists, entrepreneurs, and community leaders who are improving the human condition in your own backyard and across the globe. I'm your host, Tom Osha. As part of the Bio-International Conference taking place this week, as a virtual set of webinars and video meetings, the Commons interviewed several members of the Phoenix Bio-Ecosystem to learn more about the research, resources, and opportunities taking place in this rapidly emerging life science and biotechnology ecosystem. Sparking collaboration is the purpose of the Phoenix bioindustry ecosystem. Phoenix, Arizona, where each day is a relentless pursuit of cures. From discovery to delivery, join Phoenix companies and the leading edge of personalized medicine. Come to a young, vibrant community in an environment where ideas thrive. With a lack of barriers to enter the market, America's fastest growing population, and an entrepreneurial pioneer spirit, this is the place for rising to success. Join Translational Genomics Research Institute, three research universities, and world-class bioscientists in the Phoenix Biomedical Campus. Located in dynamic downtown Phoenix, home to Wexford Science and Technologies Collaboration Designed Bioscience Research Building, the Center for Entrepreneurial Innovation and Unlimited Opportunities. Learn more at phoenix.gov slash econdev slash bio. The descriptor bench to bedside is often used to depict translational research as a process by which discoveries from basic scientific inquiry become the diagnostics, therapeutics, and devices to address various health and disease states and improve patient outcomes. While catchy, this phrase does not do justice to the amount of talent, time, and resources required to take a medical breakthrough from the laboratory to the marketplace. Often great ideas languish in lab notebooks or on blackboards, awaiting a stimulus, often an experiment that doesn't turn out as intended, a surprise or an unexpected observation that sets the researcher on a new pathway to discovery. Often these discoveries then move from university labs to startup companies where additional talent, focus, resources, and connections help advance the new drug, device, or approach to, and often through, the clinical trial stage, and regulatory process. These startups, often founded by university researchers and led by experienced biopharma execs, are the lifeblood of innovation ecosystems. They not only bring new ideas to the forefront, they attract talent, other companies, partnerships, and funding that benefits the broader ecosystem as well. My guest on the Commons today is a perfect example of that dynamic. Steve Potts is the founder, CEO, and director of Oncomix, a startup that is taking a discovery from a lab at Arizona State University and developing a new breed of oncolytic immunotherapies to eradicate hard-to-cure cancers. He has a wealth of experience, having worked in large, small, and startup biopharma companies, and has a keen sense of how to take a company from inception to successful exit. He's an active member of the life sciences ecosystem in Phoenix, and a thought leader around how to grow young companies to create scale and impact. He has degrees from Wheaton College, 
and the University of California at Davis, and awards too numerous to mention. He is a serious scientist, a talented executive, and a strong supporter of Phoenix's efforts to grow the life sciences cluster. He joins me today from his home in Phoenix. Welcome to the Commons, Steve. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. I appreciate all that you have done in the past in, in seeing companies through kind of from the inception of an idea to a successful exit many times with a larger biopharma company. And you're doing it again now with Oncomix. Tell me the Oncomix story, please. Yeah, well, it started a couple of years ago. I had been at a company called Ignita that was developing a targeted therapy for a pan tumor, basically all tumor types. That company was acquired by Genentech Roche. And so I live here in, you know, in the Phoenix area and was very interested in doing something that would, would interact with the human immune system to, to help the immune system fight cancer. Um, I talked to the, the chair, one of the chairs of biology over at ASU, and ASU has a really good, you know, but lay people may not know this, but there's a really strong history of vaccine development at ASU. And vaccines and the area that we work on, oncolytic viruses, are very, are very close, they're similar. So I asked, what do you have going on? at ASU in the oncolytic virus field. Um, what that is, is using a virus to actually uh, both stimulate the human immune system as well as use a virus to directly attack the human cancers. And it was funny because the dean sort of laughed and said, well, your timing's really good. We just hired about a year ago one of the top five oncolytic virus experts worldwide here at ASU. His name's Professor Grant McFadden, and he has a, a rabbit virus that will um, infect rabbits. You know, it won't infect anything outside of rabbits. It's actually out in the human human environment, and it's you know, known to be safe for centuries, really. And um, But it also seems to have a, a strong predisposition for human cancers. I thought, well, that was interesting. So I, I talked to Grant about two years ago. He had built a really impressive um, data set, about 30 peer-reviewed publications um, over the last 15 years, looking at this virus attacking a number of different human cancers, about 15 different types of cancers. And so it was really ready you know, to take it into the clinic. So I talked, and that's kind of how the, the story started. The company is called Oncomix, Onco for oncology, and Mix for Mixoma. That's the name of the virus. So how does one go from a discovery of a virus in a rabbit to all of a sudden understanding that it may be entirely safe for humans, but impacts cancer cells in, in such a credible way. You need to build up a really good background, kind of a, you know, a base of science knowledge on what your particular drug, virus, device, whatever it does um, in, in cell lines, in cells in solution, and then in, typically in mice that have cancers. And so you, know, you build up that, you know, he had built that up. So this is a good example. He's, he's had, you know, about 30 different peer-reviewed publications looking at all, all kinds of different human cancers, infected mice, and seeing how they behave. So that was very promising. But then to go into humans, you have basically about two, three years worth of work where you have to, it all culminates in something called an IND, Investigational New Drug Application. But the point there is basically you have to prove to the FDA that you're ready to take this into humans. The toxicity is acceptable and the efficacy looks promising. And of course, you also have to prove to investors that it's worth the time and effort, you know, to do this. That's the next step: is the um, two, three years to basically go through the regulatory process and, and do the necessary experiments to convince yourself that the toxicity window is appropriate and the efficacy looks compelling. So you said this came out of Dr. McFadden's lab at ASU. How is ASU to work with when it comes to? licensing their technologies. And, and actually, I was surprised, and I know many would be, by the 
comment that while I believe ASU is the largest university not to have a medical school, you said they really have deep capabilities in vaccine development. Yeah, well, it's one of the largest universities in the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's really amazing the footprint across Arizona. Yeah, there is no medical school at ASU. On the other hand, that kind of presents a bit of an advantage. And it's one of the things that I think has been very innovative here in town is that ASU has built up some really good collaborations with Mayo Clinic um, and with some other um, clinical groups. And so that's meant that you can collaborate more easily, you know, sharing some data. So that collaboration is actually pretty unique. They've been great to work with. You know, we, the process was, okay, so great. You've got an idea, you've got a company name, and now you need to, you know, raise funding. So it took 14 months of effort to ultimately raise a Series A, which is $25 million Series A. And that was a really impressive syndicate, you know, built by a number of different venture capital groups. But, you know, during that time, you know, there's all kinds of questions about, well, what does the, what does the contract look like with ASU? You know, is there a win-win here between the university and the company? And um, so there was a lot of work that had to be done just kind of on the legal side to make sure that the intellectual property was protected, make sure the contracts were in place, make sure that there was appropriate, you know, and fair kind of win-win compensation for both the university's inventions as well as for the company. Just a good group. The licensing entity is called Skysong um, for ASU. And I think they do a really good job of balancing the needs of the university with an understanding of what small young companies, you know, need um, and what ventures they need to see from them um, in order to, you know, be successful and get the necessary backing required. How do you assess, because $25 million is an impressive opening round, how do you assess the climate in Arizona for venture funding? And I think I saw in a report from the Flynn Foundation that last year was a record year for VC investment in companies in Arizona? Yeah, I, actually, the $25 million Series A was the largest Series A out of for a company out of in, in ASU history, which was great. It, it, isn't, it may not be that large if you're somewhere in Boston or San Francisco, but um, it's a, it was an impressive round. It was what we needed to basically get through that IND data point that I mentioned, the three years of funding to be able to then um, go into people. The climate is interesting. We raised the money actually with primarily outside the U.S., a large German number six pharma venture fund, a Bongengelheim venture fund, and then um, a large VC from Malaysia, a group from Hong Kong, and um, a group from Korea, actually the largest Korean life science uh, venture capital firm. And then two impressive life science entrepreneurs and executives, one from San Diego and one from New York. So it was a good syndicate. I think that the West Coast in particular is very amenable to funding in Phoenix for life science, San Francisco, San Diego. Boston's a little trickier, um, just given the distance. Um, but but XUS is you know, there's lots of interest in terms of funding um, ideas out of Phoenix. What is it about foreign investment that finds Phoenix attractive? I mean, maybe I'm Phoenix specifically, but I think that there is an interest. It's very hard for Asian firms and European firms to get the necessary um, talent. The management teams are few and far between, especially in Asia, but also in Europe, um, to build successful teams to put the company together. Um, you know, for example, in Oncomix, we had someone who had 20 years of manufacturing experience, someone with 20 years of regulatory experience, clinical experience, science experiments, operational. You know, that's five or six individuals that are that are not easy to, you know, to bring together. And so the, the American firms just have it. We have a really a lot more talent to team, the ability to pull teams together than what you'll see out of Asia or Europe. And actually at a better cost as well. So I think that's the interest is they, they're, they're very aware that they're for very good American teams and they like to fund those teams. 
I do think there's some things about Phoenix that can be certainly discussed and are big advantages if you bring them out during the investment process. For example, you know, Phoenix is an inter- has an international airport. Um, our lab is only 10 minutes away from the airport. So you can literally get off the plane and be in the boardroom in 10 minutes. There's very few other, I mean, I can guarantee San Francisco and Boston are not that way if you've been there lately. San Diego also, you know, it's an hour typically up north where the hubs are for the life science firms. So that's a, that's a big advantage. And we use that a lot in terms of our operations. On um, Monday, Tuesday, I'll, I'll bring in teams from San Francisco and San Diego, at least, you know, pre-COVID. It's just a huge advantage to be able to take a 50-minute flight from San Diego and then 10 minutes later be in the boardroom, have that meeting, you know. You can go home same day or the next day. It just makes makes travel very easy. Um, there's not delays. I think it's probably the, the most accessible city in the U.S. for uh, you know with the hub downtown for just making it easy to have both a a real team brick and mortar company. We've got about 15 employees uh, right in Phoenix in downtown Phoenix. You know, and then we have executives. Some are based here and some are not. Um, but having that mixture of virtual and brick and mortar, I think, just works very well. So I like that you mentioned the importance and the criticality of talent, which many will say is the real currency of innovation. How are you finding Phoenix as a market for you to be able to attract the talent you need to grow Oncomix? So there's two things you got to think about there. There's your the C-suite talent, the executive level. And these are people that have their end of one type people typically. You know, in whatever you new company you build, you're gonna you're gonna get people that have got 15 years of doing that particular thing, and they're the best in the world at it. Whether it's manufacturing or clinical or regulatory or science. And then you have the team you got to build up from the science, the managers, the directors. And so on the second part, we've built a lot of the workforce from. ASU PhDs and undergrads, and it's been very successful with that. It's actually hired most of our workforce has actually come out of ASU in the virology program, Professor McFadden and others. So they already are kind of very comfortable working with this technology. They've gotten trained in it. They're very good at it. They like it. They want to you know, advance their careers in it. And it's, it's a logical move for them to go from the university to a company, whether they have a PhD or whether they have a bachelor's. So we have, we've done a really nice job, I think, of building up locally talent that way. On the executive side, uh, every company has this struggle. I don't care if you're in Boston, San Francisco, San Diego, or Phoenix. You can almost never get all the people, the event of one people that you need um, in any one town. What we did is say, look, there's a few couple of them there in San Diego and a couple of them are in San Francisco. And so by having some flexibility there, I'm able to get the top team. And even in San Francisco, we've got so much talent. The fight for talent is so fierce that you'll often see management teams that are not even a minority of them are actually based in San Francisco. Beyond talent, What's the ecosystem like for startups in Phoenix, the other kinds of support, the networking, the infrastructure, the other things that help you take that company and grow it beyond the pursuit of, of your science directly? There's kind of the requisite service companies as well that these biotechs need. For us, that's a lot of mouse work. And there's a fantastic contract research organization that was a spin out of TGen years ago called TD2, Translational Drug Development. That's over in Scottsdale. And so actually all of our mouse work is done here in town. It's great. It's, it's Dr. Gately's organization and they have a large vivarium and just do really nice oncology work. So that's here in Phoenix. And in fact, frankly, if, no matter where I was in the U.S., I'd probably still use them right here in Phoenix. So that's been great that they're, they're close by. Um, Mayo Clinic, we have some collaborations with Mayo as well. Um, 
Dr. Rafael Fonseca in multi-myeloma and a few others. And so who had some ability to collaborate with them as well. You know, the other types of firms you need, accounting, finance, law, that sort of thing really is, you can go anywhere for that. There's some firms here in Phoenix, there's some in San Diego and some in San Francisco that we use. How about the Flynn Foundation and Arizona's biosciences roadmap? Is that had any impact on you? Oh, I think just it, that helps in terms of getting additional uh, mass of people. You know, you always want to have scientists like to go where there's more scientists. So I think also when we looked downtown, we were looking for somewhere that felt kind of like a university. And so I think the, the, the fact that we're in the same building with TGen, Paradigm, Exact Sciences, a few others, it helps people feel better that they're not the only biotech firm um, in the area. So, yeah, I think the, the more... Flynn and others do to both increase the number of scientists, you know, at, in these locations and then just increase the feel of that these are science parks that have, you know, a, a lot of interesting companies doing interesting things. Any advice for companies considering bringing their own operations, starting a lab, growing, expanding in the Phoenix area? Um, lab space is always tight and you have to kind of plan. You can always convert an office space to lab, but it takes time. So, you know, I think that there's still not enough lab space. So I think that's something I would be paying attention to. It's a solvable problem, but you, you typically require time, you know, to get your lab up and running. It's a town that there's a lot of scientists that are, you know, especially director and down that find Phoenix a very appealing place to live. A normal person can buy a house here in Phoenix and, you know, which is something that is, is very challenging in, in San Francisco or San Diego. You don't have the same kind of commutes that you do, you know, to get to somewhere that's livable in those locations. So I found it to be a very, it's a good place to build. And I know Wexford Science and Technology is addressing the shortage of lab space with the New Innovation Center. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I think, you know, having it right downtown is a great location. So it's, it's really nice to see that. You know, currently they just, you know, the, the life science building we're in is, is one option, but having additional space, especially mixed office and lab space is huge. Seeing that grows. And Wexford's certainly part of that. Final question. Where would you like to see Phoenix continue to grow as a life sciences ecosystem? And what gaps might need to be addressed that would help not only Oncomix, but other companies continue to find this as a robust place to do life sciences and biopharma work? I think there's an opportunity for GMP manufacturing. Um, that is a big growing area. I think it would fit Phoenix well, you know, if there was someone that had some real for thinking foresight to think about a, a GMP manufacturing facility or, or encouraging firms that are doing GMP manufacturing to locate in Phoenix. I think they'd find it a, a good location. A lot of these firms are in Florida, for example, and that's in Hurricane Pass. You wouldn't have that issue in Phoenix. You know, I, I think there's there's an opportunity to grow the, the GMP manufacturing part. I also think that the kind of thinking that went into the Covance, you know, at one point Covance was really going to expand down in in uh, Chandler and just the economics of the, I think they, they, they shrunk some of that planning, but that was a very good idea. And I think attracting more of the contract research organizations to Arizona is a good idea. And I, I built a CRO up to about 70 people and, and then a very successful company, you know, years ago. And so, you know, I think that that, that opportunity is still a big one for, uh, for Arizona. So I'd say GMP facility would be the opportunity and then just attracting more of the contract research organizations, either either building them out and building new ones or attracting existing ones to Phoenix that would help to grow the ecosystem. Steve, thank you so much for your time, your perspective, and your great advice. This has been a special edition of the Commons at Bio and my guest today, Steve Potts, the founder, CEO, and director of Oncomets. Thank you for joining us. I'm Tom Osha. The 
Commons is a production of Wexford Science and Technology, LLC. Views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guest. To view additional material about today's episode, submit questions or story ideas, or learn more about Wexford Science and Technology, please visit www.wexfordscitech.com forward slash the commons. I'm your host, Tom Osha. Thanks for listening.